questions also. And I'm going to be asking the same question of both of you. So whoever wants to start first, that will be fine. The first question that I have for the evening is, can you share your testimonies briefly and share what led you to doing clinic ministry, open-air preaching, and street evangelism? Left to right. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> do, you, do you want us to stand up when we talk, or sure. would you rather sit down? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, all right, well, testimony, how I got involved in street preaching and 320-fold in abortion ministry. Um, a brief part of my testimony, uh, I was born and raised uh, in nominally maybe Christian home, but was an unbeliever, um, along with the rest of my family. Uh, I served in the military for eight years doing reconnaissance, uh, getting ready for, uh, I was able to deploy to Iraq from 07 to 09. Um, loved high school, went to Ottawa Hills in Grand Rapids, southeast side urban area. Um, after deployment, uh, we were getting ready for a second deployment. This would have been to Afghanistan. And, uh, and pretty much right before I signed the contract for the second deployment, uh, the Lord actually, if you've ever been, uh, I think it's this way, uh, there's a, a road called uh, 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 Sunflower Boulevard, I believe. Anyways, it's, uh, it's on the way to the lakeshore. Um, there's actually like a sunflower right there. Um, I turned my cobalt into there uh, because I was feeling a little lightheaded, just got done uh, swearing at who my girlfriend at the time, who is my wife now, praise God. Um, and the Lord uh, right there um, would cause me to, um, to drop my, my phone in, in communications with her. And in that moment, uh, I describe it as a sort of a, a, a blackout. That's the best way I can describe it. I zoned out. The Lord in that moment supernaturally convinced me of my sin before him, a holy God, of my deserving of his uh, genuine and righteous wrath, and of my need for a righteousness that was not my own. And as I grieved uh, my sin in light of his holiness, uh, he also simultaneously gave me a new heart and caused me to be born again to a living hope, one that was undefiled, unfading, uh, incorruptible and kept in heaven uh, for me. So he gave me a new heart right there. I placed my faith in him. I was a new creation. Uh, I picked the phone up, called my girlfriend at the time, again, who's my wife now, and uh, said, I love Jesus. And she said, uh, I'm calling bull. I don't know if you ever played that card game before, but <laughs> she, uh, she called it on me. And, uh, and good. She shouldn't have believed me because I was a wretch. Um, but God did do a saving work. And from that day forth, I would evangelize, uh, starting with her and other people. I would see uh, conversions uh, with some brothers who were in the military with me um, quite immediately. Um, and over time, uh, I ran out of people to evangelize to in my close circles. And as I read the Bible, essentially it made sense to me uh, that just like in Acts chapter 2, that they would stand up and they would herald the good news. Um, so I would do street evangelism for about four years and then eventually I was convinced of just uh, proclaiming the word of the Lord. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of Christ. The elect are effectually called by word and spirit. So I went to go preach in the open air. That was a decade ago. Um, and, uh, and shortly after that, within the first few years of street preaching, uh, I got involved in 320 Fulton uh, outside the local abortion clinic. Um, I took a three-year kind of hiatus uh, due to a lawsuit that I engaged with the city of Grand Rapids for preaching out there. And then uh, by God's grace, as, uh, as he called Jordan out there, um, the Lord would use that to humble me. Uh, and then I would return uh, to continue to do 
uh, street preaching, evangelism, gospel ministry outside uh, 320 Foxtrot or 320 Fulton. So, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. My testimony? That's okay. Um, so my name is Jordan Sweezer, and uh, I also did not grow up in a Christian home at all. In fact, I grew up in an uh, anti-Christian home where we professed Christ but believed everything that's evil and called it good. So I don't, don't let your imaginations run too wild, but that we probably believed it. And um, I was actually invited to a youth group by a friend in high school. I had just graduated a semester early to get out of my home, and I got invited with my girlfriend to um, a youth group. And I was like, oh, the guy rapped and stuff. So I guess I'll check out the church <laughs> service. And, uh, you know, I went there and there was preaching. It had nothing to do with conversation of sin or our need for repentance. But he had an altar call. And even though I'm not promoting those by any means, uh, the Lord convicted me of my sins there and, and saved me, gave me a new heart. And um, when they called us to give our lives to Christ, my girlfriend and I, we both raised our hands. We went up and they did their praying in tongues and all these crazy things over us. And um, when I left, you know, I'm walking down the aisle and my sins are like flooding me. Like, I need to change this about my life. Lord, please forgive me for this. And like, it's all hitting me. And um, at the same time, I'm like super joyful because I know that like I'm, I'm safe. I didn't even fully understand salvation. I had to read my Bible and ask some pastors. But um, I, that was when the Lord saved me. And it was kind of a, a parable for how people can hear the word and, and not be changed, and people can hear the same word and be changed, because my girlfriend at the time and I got in the car, and she just turned on the local rap station and was like, let's go to your place. And I was like, uh-uh, <laughs> no way, <laughs> we can't listen to this, and we're not going there. And um, So it was crazy how you can, two people can raise their hands and have an effect for a moment, but the Lord in His grace, nothing of my own, saved me from my sins. And immediately upon that happening, I broke up with her and I called Marie because she was the only person in my whole life who had stood on the Word of God to me. Um, I remember arguing with her about why homosexuality was a good thing, and she read Leviticus 19 to me. And I said, you're interpreting that wrong. And she's like, Jordan, I just read it. <laughs> so I had that memory from when I was younger, and I was like, she's the one. So I called her, and I said I was going to marry her, and uh, we were going to have lots of kids, and she said, you're crazy, you know, <laughs> we hadn't talked in like two years, and she lived in Washington, and uh, yeah, so long story short, um, I was right, even in my naivety, but now we've been married for nine years, um, my wife and I have four sons, K uh, JJ is eight, Caleb is six, Charlie is three, and Calvin is eight months, and we also have a little baby back there named Ocean Rositas, which is a baby that was actually saved at 320 Fulton Street. So this is our first time getting the meter and we're babysitting for the night, so pretty exciting. Um, so that's how I came to know the Lord and how I ended up doing ministry outside um, is I had, like Stephen, ministered to all my friends and family and pretty much all my high school friends immediately stopped caring about me and returning my phone calls. And um, my family and I had... Much, much arguments. I had a lot of zeal and very little knowledge, but I'm thankful that the Lord still counted it as a win for his kingdom. It was a, a try for faithfulness. And um, yeah, so then I started working for a company called Voss Lighting as a lighting sales company. And they only hired Christians, and you had to share your faith with your customers. 
Uh, it was like part of the job description. The back of our business cards were gospel tracks. So I had to like get over this fear of man, which we all struggle with to degree, right? And realize like, man, what if I do this and then he stops buying from me? <laughs> you know, my family's got to eat. And he's like, nope, trust the Lord, share the gospel. So that just got me in a regular pattern of sharing with strangers and with new friends and business people. And um, then I, my wife and Stephen became friends. Stop videotaping me. <laughs> my wife and Stephen, uh, or my wife and Stephen's wife became friends. They were selling clothes together. So she's like, come over. I want you to meet their family. And we went over to talk about business. And I was not very excited. But instead of talking about business, we uh, did family worship together at their house. We sang and read, and our kids became really good friends. And that was like six years ago. So... Um, Stephen had already been doing outside ministry. I started going out with him to do one-on-ones while he was doing street preaching. Um, And I watched a YouTube video of Jeff Durbin doing his stuff out in Apologia, and I was like, I need to do this. So I'm going to summarize the rest of the story. We moved to Detroit. I met people who did what I'm doing full-time, and their church sent me out as a missionary to to do this work. Um, So that's the very condensed story. But, yeah, so we've been doing this... About a year and a half full time. Yes. Did you know Mitch Boer at Boss Lighting? I did. And yeah. you said that you were with the uh, Reform Baptist Church of Grand Rapids. Yes. For yes. A of years. Seven. Yep. Seven years. Yeah. In fact, Pastor Jeff married my wife and I. And um, Pastor, what? Oh, Pastor Matt Vincent, if you guys know him. Uh, my wife actually stayed in their home while we were getting counseled and waiting to be married. So they took her right in and. Yeah, yeah. Okay, what gave you guys a heart for the uh, abortion rescue itself? Can you describe what it is, Stephen, that, where did that heart come from? Yeah, well, I'm sure that uh, to some degree we'll have similar answers because the way that the Lord works uh, in the heart of an evangelist um, is that you desire to share the gospel um, in the generally in the darkest of places, uh, for uh, for me it was um, while I was doing um, while I was doing uh, street preaching and evangelism uh, on the, in the urban side of Grand Rapids downtown and on the southeast side. Um, I remember watching a movie, "Babies Are Murdered Here," and that really had struck my heart. I, I thought, you know, uh, that was kind of a next step. Like, yeah, I'm out here with the least of these, if you will, I need to be sharing the gospel um, as well at, at this local abortion clinic. Um, so I went to a, uh, originally went to a protest. Um, it was at uh, an abortion clinic on 32nd Street and Byron Center. It's, uh, it's done now. The place is gone. It was the Evans Center Plan, Evanson Center Planned Parenthood. I went there and there was probably hundreds of believers or pro-life people there. And, uh, and as I stood there with my sign, we all had signs saying abortion is murder, it's wrong. Um, it was a protest. And as I stood there, uh, I began to grieve. Uh, I began to grieve because the signs were all shouting, no, don't do this. Um, they were condemning the sin, which was good, protesting it. But there was no proclamation of the gospel. Um, and I thought to myself, we don't want mothers uh, bringing their children uh, to this place of death, of destruction. But, but at the same time, we're standing here with signs saying this is wrong while they're driving toward hell. We don't have any gospel. So I felt that I was, 
spiritually uh, a hypocrite, evangelistically. So I said to the leader, I said, I'd really like to preach the gospel in that corner right there uh, at the light where people come through. He said, people probably won't like it, and they didn't. Um, but he, uh, he said, it's public property, you can do what you want. Uh, so I, I went down there and began to preach, and, and after Evanson Center closed, I uh, uh, went over to 320 Fulton. Um, it, it was really out of uh, um, the fear of the Lord um, and the love of Christ that compelled me to go, these are image bearers, they're, they're being murdered in our city two miles away. If, even if I have 15 minutes of a lunch break, um, how can I go there to preach this good news? The primary thing was that, that I, I desired that the gospel would be preached outside in that context. Um, and much like with street preaching, uh, when the Lord puts something on your heart, you just, you have to do it. You, you have to. You can't, you can't shake it. It keeps you up at night. You yeah. have to do it. And praise God, he's sustained that um, for as long as he has willed. So. Yeah, it's very, should we keep standard? Do you want to just sit? Or? Whatever you're comfortable okay. with. Okay. I like to be by you guys. So, <laughs> um, so for me, it, was, it is uh, honestly a very similar story. Um, when I first saw a YouTube video of Jeff Durbin sharing the gospel, to these women, offering them help, calling it sin, and then why we need Christ, coming to Christ. Um, it just made sense to me, and I began to have a burden for um, the least of these, I would have said, as well. And um, at that time, I was studying Ephesians, so I saw anything that exposes darkness is light, and what a better way to expose the light than with the gospel. So, um, yeah, I, I also watched that movie uh, shortly shortly after, but... I thought, man, where does light need to be shined or shown, however you would say that, the most? Showined. Showined. Thank you. <laughs> where does light need to be showined the most? And it, it would be at the darkest place, you know, at the darkest place. And um, I also thought, like, where, um, if God were ever going to, to bless a ministry, he, he can bless any type of ministry, but I thought, surely he's, he would bless a ministry uh, sharing his truth at a place where he hates what they're doing, right? God says he hates the hands that shed innocent blood. And that's a really sobering thing, you know, and we can go shine light there. My wife actually posted something today saying the Apostle Paul is, when he died, you know, he was celebrated by the people he was persecuting, you know? And I just thought, like, man, that's, what a picture, what a drastic picture of the gospel, you know, where... We're, they're literally there, and, and it's so hard to even say it like this, but to have their children pulled to pieces, you know? And yet God's shining his light with one more opportunity of gospel call, of help, a reminder, you know? And uh, for all who he's put in their heart to listen, you know, their hearts are softened. And if it's okay to just add one thing is like, when I first started doing this, I don't know if you ran into this, but the people who were out there regularly did not like the gospel being preached, but all yeah. said they were Christians. Yeah. And a lot of them, I think, are Christians. And it was, it was really baffling to me, but they had this mindset, and, and I struggled with this before I ever did the work, was, okay, every mom is in a crisis mode, is what they said, and first you handle her problems, then you tell about the baby, and then of later you, you bring up Jesus. But they never got there. You know, they never got to the Jesus part. And they said they had all their statistics to show that that's what worked. And, um, you know, they had their lawyer studies and all that stuff. But 
I just started sharing the gospel, and I said, well, you guys take that side of the driveway, I'll take this side. If they look that way, I won't go to the car, let's not crowd, right? Let's try to be teammates or whatever. And every time, the Lord would just send them to my side. And so I'd share the gospel with them, and then once in a while, the moms would choose life. And, and it's not supposed to work, though, <laughs> you know? Reminding people that this is, this is murder, please don't do this. Jesus says that if we repent of our sins, he'll forgive us, and he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Let us help you. I mean, that's, that's the message. And um, it works. <laughs> because resources aren't going to change a, a dead heart. Right? They're important. Important to have resources. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, we'll get into that more, I'm sure, later. Yeah. But. What kind of challenges have you had to overcome from within the church doing clinic ministry and sidewalk evangelism. Now you've touched on it a little bit already. Okay? Sure. But let's go ahead with you, Stephen. Um, man. Uh, I'm the, the, about the church. That's a hard question to answer. Yeah, well, f- first we'll start with um, the church is the blood-bought bride of Christ. Amen. He loves her. He laid his life down for her. He's going to raise her from the dead. He's going to return for her at the time of the Father's choosing. And so any issues that we have with the church, any blemishes that we're seeing on, on her dress, uh, we have them too. Um, and, uh, um, and so anything that we say regarding the, the issues that are in the church, um, she's being sanctified. And so as full-time evangelists, street preachers, missionaries, chaplains, we, we have to be patient, um, but also persistent with the church um, as she grows and moves. Um, something that I think is uh, beautiful um, <clears throat> is that while we've had this big resurgence, if you will, in, um, in the doctrines of grace and reformed theology, I think there's a resurgence of evangelism happening, at least in, in Michigan. Um, and, and that's what it should look like when we're dwelling in the doctrines of grace. Um, the, the, the pushback, I'd say, that I got back from the church quite often is, um, is really the uncomfortability about evangelism, especially in Reformed circles. Our, our theology doesn't match, our orthodoxy um, doesn't match our orthopraxy. We, we, we say we're dead in sins and trespasses, and only the word of Christ will awaken the sleeper, but we're but we don't go to share the word of Christ because we're scared it's going to push people away from Jesus. Mm. But the truth is we can't push anybody further away from Jesus Amen. than where they already are because by nature we're children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We're dead in our sins and trespasses. We're under the prince of the power of the air. And we need the gospel to be faithfully preached um, so that uh, men and women and children can come alive in Christ. Um, so his sheep will hear his voice. They'll come to him. Um, so a, a lot of things is there's a lot of baggage that the church will carry toward the street preacher. Um, in, in, uh, instead of saying, this is biblical, I see it in the Bible, and then saying, but let's see if they're being faithful to the Bible. Um, or, you know, uh, Mormons uh, are biblical in the sense that they're going door to door, but they're not faithful to the scriptures. <laughs> it's, it's blasphemy. It's heresy. Um, it shouldn't, shouldn't be happening, but... Uh, um, so we need to test what the preachers are doing. Um, as, so I would say maybe that's the big thing. Relationship evangelism is very huge. We've, uh, you know, uh, street preaching and going outside of the four walls 
um, was very popular in the Old Testament, very popular in the New Testament. Jesus, I mean, everybody did that. And, and in fact, Jesus will return with a trumpet. It ain't going to be quiet. <laughs> um, and, and, um, and Reformed history was built upon men willing to die standing on the graves of people heralding the good news. We think of Whitfield and Spurgeon and, and all these men. And then all of a sudden, postmodern evangelicalism hits, seeker-sensitive movement hits, and we start to see these uh, where we are generally uncomfortable. Jordan mentioned we all kind of have a fear of man. Uh, we start to use mercy ministry um, as a cover-up for our lack of evangelism. So we've become missional in the church, um, in the sense that we're willing to do the mercy ministry and do charity and things like that, uh, rather than uh, being a, a church that's about the mission, the Great Commission. So now people feel, feel like they're charity cases instead of part of the family of God. As we invite them in, uh, we, we, we take out words like hell. We think it's a cuss word. Um, we do all these things to satisfy our uncomfortability. And, and really the church needs to have a godly backbone um, for getting this good news out. Uh, if it didn't come to us, uh, we, we wouldn't know Jesus. So, uh, so yeah, I, I hope that helps kind of answer uh, some, some of those issues. Uh, lots of uh, pastors, elders, church leadership um, oftentimes won't get behind uh, such ministries because they're uncomfortable um, doing the work of the evangelist for a lot of uh, people in the church um, is inviting people to church, the pastor will do it. Rather than getting out and saying, no, like, the Lord saved me. What good and glorious news I, I have to tell somebody else. Um, we, we've, uh, sometimes we've also traded Reformed theology to think that it's not personal. Um, we want to talk about justification, but we don't talk about this personal relationship we have with Jesus. Um, and, uh, and we need to be aware of that too. So we've, we, we've oftentimes sold ourselves out um, and we've become Jerusalem uh, as a place of, of education, uh, of, of doctrine, and, uh, rather than being Jerusalem for standing on the street pulpits with this doctrine and sharing the good news. Um, so yeah. I, I'll try to hammer even further in a couple of the points that you set up really nicely, brother. But first, I do want to say that one thing I think street preachers can end up struggling with, and especially in abortion ministry, is having a bitter heart towards the bride of Christ. Because mm-hmm. especially the generation before us, they really got it, they really got it bad. Like, really bad. You know? And uh, I've seen men who are still really good men, who still really love the Lord, but ha- really struggle with what I call being battle-hardened against the church, which is not good at all, <laughs> you know? So first I just want to say I, I also love the church, but I think um, a lot of times what's happened with churches when someone wants to do evangelism is pastors have a tendency, not all pastors, not saying in this church, but I think from my experience and what I've seen, to see a young man with fire, with excitement for the Lord and a, a burden to go and do something. And um, a lot of times those young men need to be reined back, right? Because they have all this zeal, not enough knowledge. And there's real wisdom in how pastors do that. But sometimes I think the pendulum goes too far and we kind of say, stop. You know, stop caring, kind of put out the, the zeal right. and kind of squish it. And um, that's, that's been unfortunate. Um, 
One thing I've also seen is, yeah, it's really hard to say these things because, you know, only several, four or five years ago, I was thinking the same way of a lot of people that I'm now speaking against. So, like, please don't hear this from frustration. Um, I'm very encouraged that we're here. Many churches are starting to come on board, and it's all sanctification, the Lord, the Lord bringing us through, you know. But um, what was I going to say again? <laughs> um, so another thing is people, like when he said mercy ministries, we can end up becoming really good friends with the world that way. Um, one thing I've heard a lot is like we want to have a winsome witness. And that's a biblical term. We want to be winsome in our witness. But we've kind of changed that term a lot of times to mean like don't let people be offended. If, if someone's offended, it's automatically your fault. And that's a real big culture thing that's permeating in our church because everyone's offended about everything, you know, and it's always your fault if they're offended. But the gospel is extremely offensive. Like, I think part of why street preachers have a bad rep is because the world says they're very hateful. I've not met, I maybe met one of them, but he lasted like three days. So I've never really met a street preacher who was ever that way. But the gospel is offensive, you know. When someone's out there saying, uh, I support the murder of these children, or they're out there cursing at you, talking about how they want to kill you or your family, like, you can see there's murder in their heart. And without getting angry at them, you can say, like, like friend, don't you see how angry you are at the God you say doesn't exist? Like, you, you know. You know the truth, you know? And you can, you can quote scripture to an atheist most of the time, and they'll respond as if it's the truth. And they'll try to find a way around it, but they won't deny it because it's from the Bible because God's wrote his law in our hearts. And So anyway, when we, when we get so into mercy ministries as a church, which is great. I mean, my wife's doing a mercy ministry tonight, watching the baby, and that's good and it's necessary, but it's always to share the gospel. And I think that's the point you were trying to say. It's always yeah. to, if we're doing mercy ministries, it's to get the gospel out. Like when he goes out on Tuesdays at Burton and Eastern, they bring pizza out and they hand out water bottles. And that's wonderful. But you're never going to see him do that without handing out gospel tracts and sharing Jesus with them. <laughs> yeah, we don't even need any of, of that. It's just been a blessing to use it. Yeah. Uh, something he's saying to the, um, we have, I use the phrase a lot, compassion without compromise. Having compassion for the souls of people without compromising the gospel. And... Uh, he mentioned that dichotomy between mercy ministry and preaching the gospel. Um, and oftentimes in churches, we, we struggle. Which one, which one do we do? Do we, do we pass out the food or do we preach the gospel? And, uh, and honestly, what needs to happen is, is both at the same time. Yeah. But if we're going to pick comfortability, we will, always, we will always land on mercy ministry. Our, our missionary work will be building houses in Uganda, not saying... On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Uh, I'm going to build my house on that rock. Um, And so we do these good things hoping to earn the right to share the gospel, Um, but we're really comfortable with that. Um, But going out, uh, especially uh, uh, with a street preacher or someone who's been engaging the evangelism, um, it holds up a guide on saying, hey, uh, as Paul said in Romans 1, he says, I'm eager, I'm obligated, and I'm unashamed. And those three components, as a Christian, knowing full well that faith comes by hearing and that, uh, um, and that Christ will 
have all of his sheep for which he died, you can be eager to go and tell others. You can be obligated in the sense that, and, and that's something we need to realize too, that we are obligated, um, uh, beautifully obligated, hmm. because it was a free gift to us. Um, grace. We, we don't have a choice. We get to joyfully tell others. Uh, we've been enlisted, and we're so often entangled in civilian pursuits rather than aiming to please the one who has enlisted us. So the church compromises uh, because of comfortability. But I think it's time that we get uncomfortable. And if you guys haven't noticed, uh, when, when the evangelists of the world um, are standing up and preaching their message, when we walk into a store or something like that, aren't we uncomfortable? <laughs> we, we, need, we need to stand up for Christ in return uh, because uh, we don't have a... We don't have a sword that kills people. We have one that brings dead people to life. Um, and the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. So we can go. One quick thing, too, is I would just say, like, as your church becomes more evangelistic, I count three men who either are or have been pastors here. I've seen all of them out evangelizing. And the one thing I've seen the least of is ministers leading the way. Yeah, yeah. Now, it can never be a minister's primary job like I would never want to nor, no one should put that on them because you guys you know, serving you for Christ is the primary thing but when pastors lead the way I think that's just the most biblical thing it is part of the work right do the work of the evangelist he says to Timothy and yes yeah, I just wanted to ask, you had said to me Stephen that you are actually a member of the OPC church in Wyoming yes yeah so you're not uh, outside of the church. You're functioning under the authority of your church. Yeah, I mean, I still have a sending agency, the Reformed Evangelistic Fellowship. Um, so they're my sending agency, but I also have a local advisory board of pastors, elders, deacons, and lay people who, for boots on the ground, face-to-face accountability. Um, and, and part of the reason for that, though, is because having leadership engaged helps to bridge the gap. Um, as Jordan said, they're to do the work of the evangelist. They're not the evangelist, but they're to do the work of. And oftentimes as congregants, we say, no, you're the evangelist. And we push it onto the pastors rather than saying, no, they do the work of the evangelist. And their goal in ministry is to train us, us to be the evangelists. Right. We're the ones who are supposed to be going equipping out. Equipping the saints. Yeah, equipping the saints to do the work. Um, so it's almost like this back and forth of pawning our responsibilities off, you know, on, on other people. But, uh, um, but, but yeah, when we have uh, leadership in, involved. And, and when the preachers, as Jordan mentioned, sometimes street preachers can, uh, can get, push the church into that um, situation because, oh, you won't accept me? I, I'm not going to be patient with you. I'm going to go do it on my own then. Um, rather than, waiting on than the Lord. holding fast and waiting on the Lord, being persistent yet patient. There's a time to, to let go, but I think, uh, I think if you st- hang in there uh, uh, as someone who's evangelizing, um, part of your job is, is to encourage the saints and to equip them as well. So, yeah. Great question, uh, brother. Was- Mark? Jordan, for you, yeah. you talked about being offensive sure. and how winsome isn't necessarily a key theme that we should emphasize. And I will say, as I saw you at Centennial Park, I was really refreshed by your kindness. Thank you. In the face of obnoxious treatment. 
Sure. And there was the siren that was blazing, there was a boombox that was sounding, and you were very gracious, you were very kind. And I really appreciated that. That struck me about the way that you were seeking to be light in a dark place. Uh, also, are you a member of a church as well? And are, are both of you supported fully as evangelists? Yeah, so we, we have different like stories on that, but, but yes, I'm also I'm a member at Westminster Presbyterian Church uh, in south, south part of Grand Rapids, um, and I'm a pastoral intern there, and I'm taking, I'm just starting seminary. I've got one more class under my belt, but um, at Baltic Reform Theological Seminary where my pastor is on the board of, so I get to go for free. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so um, I'm, I'm in training there, but I, I had hands laid on at a Reformed Baptist church in Flint. It was called One Life Church. Um, now it's called Ecclesia Church. So if you just speak English, it's church church. But uh, <laughs> I always thought that was funny. But uh, <laughs> I won't tell them that. <laughs> But, um, but yeah, so um, they're my sending church, and, um, you know, the Presbyterian church, there's all these reformed credentials, you always have to work through the loops, so I'm training to be a minister, I'm ordained as a missionary, and the truth is what the Lord knows, and I'm just trying to serve faithfully. But yeah, we're, we're both um, self-funded, if you will, we need, we need support, we're raising support, um, but as of right now, the Lord is providing our, our bills, and we're... Yeah. Families are being fed, and um, we've been able to help people with the funds as, as well. Yeah. So. Okay. Next question. What encouragements have you both seen in the last year or two? What encouragements? Let's start. There. We're looking at it right now, bro! <laughs> like, I mean, really, that's the, the, with the, the body. Um, what an encouragement, um, a true encouragement sent by God. Um, really just... You know, it, it builds us up um, because we've both been in, in moments where, um, where we, we will be in a room just like this um, on our knees praying to the Lord uh, for some sort of sign or support. Where the internal call is, we talk a lot about how we want the, the external call as well. And oftentimes, at least in our line of work uh, early on, uh, here we have this internal call, and then we look out to see who would say, yeah, this, you should be doing this, and there's nobody there. Um, that can be really, really difficult. Um, but the chief, I'd say, besides you know, this sort of encouragement, uh, the chief encouragement, which um, I mean, we're already, we already know, it's our wives. Yeah. You know? um, it, it is. The two become one flesh. And so we have wives that although um, know that this is such a great challenge, and difficulty, um, they they nurture us, they uphold us, uh, they they provide in many different ways the comforts, um, and they share in the sufferings, and they share in the joys um, of of the work of the evangelist, um, and taking that on full time with all of the mystery that comes along with it, as well as being able to say, um, this is the hill that we'll die on. Um, that's part of enlisting into that uh, in whatever form of ministry you're in in, in the church. Um, for an evangelist, it is saying, uh, yeah, when I go to pride, um, sweetheart, I love you. This is the hill we're willing to die upon. Um, when we go out to the clinic and Gordon pulls a gun, this is the hill we're willing to die upon. Uh, this is for the sake of Christ. And so, uh, um, so our, our wives are a great encouragement um, 
especially in, in thinking of stories in the Bible where, uh, where you have many men, especially in the, in the prophets, um, where there's no one. Um, but Lord, uh, my, my strength comes from you. You're, you, are, you are the joy of my strength. Help me. Where the internal call is, if I see no person externally, th- there we see the light of Christ um, shining and bidding sinners to come to him and to use us um, to call them. Um, but over the past few years, we get to, we've gotten to watch, I think, watch that grow. As I mentioned, uh, when I originally started, there was, there was nobody. Um, and, and now we have a, a, a larger group of people. I think that the Lord is really um, utilizing these platforms to call others, to build others up. Um, and so uh, what an encouragement, the, 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 the body um, that has been inviting us to things like this. Our wives and uh, and Christ Himself. So, yeah, my uh, biggest encouragement is really just personal prayer. Um, when you're when you can be alone with the Lord for a period of time and just be in prayer with Him and have the communion, and then you see your prayers being answered so regularly, um, like it just reminds you that that's who you're doing it for, you know. To please him, and I would definitely say having my wife is my greatest encouragement. I mean, there was a time where it was not the right time for me to do ministry, though I had felt called for many years. And um, you know, I had an opportunity to go to seminary, and I turned it down because it wouldn't have been good for our marriage. And now, you know, just at Holland Pride, for example, the officer was letting me know that he might arrest me if I continued to use an amplifier, which was legal to use, and. I texted Marie, I said, I, are you okay if I keep preaching? And she said, yeah. I said, I might get arrested. And she says, no problem, I got you. And um, I could do anything. I could fight the police officer if my wife's on board with me. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I want to do that, but that's how strong you feel, you know, when your wife uh, has your back like that. Um, and then, you know, one encouragement is in my wife's arms right now. You know, that's a baby that was born just two weeks ago from saving at the clinic in, in December or January or something. And Can you introduce the baby to us? Could you bring the baby up front? Marie? Will you be the baby model? <laughs> Do the Vanna White. The baby's name. She had left the church uh, about eight years ago, bad experience and also some, some sin issues, and um, she's now, again, a member with her grandma at her grandma's church, and professing believer, seems to be living a very Christian-like life, seeing lots of sanctification, and that's, that's an encouragement. Yeah. I mean, that's the main thing, right? So. so she was at the abortion clinic and chose life, chose life because the of the ministry there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, we'll show a picture of it if we do the presentation thing. If we don't, that's okay. But, um, yeah, we just laid hands on her and prayed with her, and um, she felt like she just needed one more person to tell her, I guess. She knew it was wrong, 
and she came to church with us that Sunday. I don't so. think it was even like. Uh, Before she goes, can we pray for Ocean Cousins? Oh yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Maybe Kevin, could you pray for Ocean? Our Father, what a joy! Amen. Let's pray. Caleb, we're praying. Amen. Amen. My, my next I question. Just say, Go I ahead. Just say one more thing too. Yes. Um, there have been seasons where, like, you just really want encouragement, and you don't feel like you're getting any. And there has been a season of time where I know I have to go to the abortion clinic, but I don't want to go. <laughs> it's such a burden to stand mm-hmm. there, and and it's a joyful burden, and I love being there. But you know what? You know what's happening behind those doors. And there's been weeks at a time periods where I'll just sit at the chair with my coffee and I'll say, Lord, I'm not going until you're with me. And you just sit in prayer and then eventually he gives you the spirit to go. And yeah, That's and my go. next question. Can you so. describe your experience regarding the importance of prayer? And I wanted to emphasize when I've been at Fulton Street, the ministry of prayer is real, yeah. real. <laughs> deep and these men before they even preach I think I, I saw you one time ask for prayer and then you asked for more prayer yeah. before he even started the open air preaching so what again your experience regarding the importance of prayer Stephen yeah the uh, um, evangelism is impossible <laughs> the task of it is it's impossible um we can't convert anybody. We can bring, uh, if we're faithful, everybody who hears us, we're bringing them to Christ in terms of we're bringing them to the foot of the cross. We're bringing them uh, to hear of the forgiveness of sins and life everlasting. We're bringing them and asking them to pray, Lord, have mercy on me, the sinner, um, and then to watch God answer that prayer. Um, but, but that supernatural act is impossible in the work that we do. It's only possible by prayer, by calling upon the name of the Lord. Um, Our words will fall on deaf ears. It is so easy to be uh, man-centered or to want people to enjoy it or or, or whatever, wrestling with things. Um, But you have to go before the Lord. There's there's times where I've had groups come out for evangelism on Burn and Easter or or even 320, and uh, we say everybody's going to go around in a circle and pray. And by the time... Well, we went to Pride. We had Pride Fest. We had about 40 people come out for Pride Fest for Grand Rapids. Um, and I had everybody pray before we went. <laughs> and most people were like, dude, this is going to take forever. It went well. Um, but every single person uh, went before the Lord um, of all evangelism and, and prayed, humbled themselves before God because it's not about us. We need the Lord. We need Him. It's, it's impossible without Him. And as you said, there's times where you have a brother pray. If you're going to preach, you better have somebody pray over you. And maybe you're walking over to the bush to pray, and you realize that just that's not enough. I, I need more. I need to, I need to go back and get more prayer. Um, and then uh, then you'll think, all right, my brother's going to start, and 
And there he is on his knees praying again. You know, um, so the, the importance of prayer, you need the Lord to give you the go. Um, and, and by his grace, he will. He, he really will. And, and let me tell you, there's also other times um, where you pray and he, and he doesn't. And you say, you know what? Um, today, today's the day where I'm just going to pray. I'm not going to preach right now. I'm going to ask to find another. There was a day where I was at 320 and I was not going to, to preach. And Jordan mentioned to me that that night in prayer uh, that he felt really inclined for me to preach that day. So I preached. I was also trusting the prayer of, of my brother. I, I think, uh, Chansky, you called me Jonathan earlier. Um, everybody needs a Jonathan praying for them as well. Um, <laughs> so uh, we, we really do. So not just prayer individually, but we need prayer as a team. And, mm. and also uh, what we get to have with these things that we didn't always have is corporate prayer. Where corporately, I saw in your, uh, in your prayer meeting list, you're praying for evangelism that's happening. Um, that is so crucial, so crucial. It's impossible without it. So. For our evangelism, even. Yeah. yeah. It's wonderful. Jordan, things to add? Yeah, um, you covered most of it, but just the life of prayer in a Christian is, is wonderful. Uh, I was recently given a book by Andrew Murray called With Christ in the School of Prayer, and I highly, highly, highly recommend it. Um, about a year and a half ago, a pastor said that I should start keeping a prayer list instead of just sporadically, and, and even if it was the same time. And I kind of took it a step further, and I'm a numbers guy, so I just made a spreadsheet, and I, I made a list for my wife and for each kid, and then for our family and finances and then ministries that we do in our church. And um, I went from that time being able to pray on average for like, I don't know, 10 or 11 minutes if it was a good long prayer, and to being able to get through praying for like 100 people you know, individually, and it's not like a, a boast, please don't take it that way, but like, we can all be there, you know, you can yeah. pray, we can pray for each mom we've met, <laughs> by name, <laughs> you know, and we have no idea what the Lord's doing, but we've seen the Lord answer so much prayer, we know he hates abortion, we know he wants his name proclaimed, and we know his gospel's effective, so uh, he says that the Father is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. He's seeking us out. He's seeking those. Yeah, he's drawing us. He's doing all. But that's what it says. He's seeking out those who yeah. will worship him in spirit and in truth. Um, that's, that's supposed to be us. You know, let's do it privately. And, and you, you, watch, you watch the Lord answer those prayers. Um, so you don't get to look at ocean and say, good thing I was bold that day. Right, um, right, right. <laughs> you get to say, Lord, I called. I cried out. Yeah. And the baby in her womb leaped for joy in your presence. And you converted her heart right there in the driveway. And she wept before your glory. And she saw her sin before you. All because I asked. Yeah. And you gave. And you gave. Uh, that's part of the per- personal relationship we have with Jesus. He delights. He delights to answer our prayers. Well, that's wonderful. God's, when you pray God's will, it's always answered. Yeah. So... We always pray that God's will would be done. We pray for abortion to end in Jesus' name, that Thomas Gordon, the abortionist, would be saved or taken. And we say, with Christ, nevertheless, Lord, your will be done. Yeah. Right? Like he said in the garden. And um, it's not a cop-out. Like, I think the world looks at those kind of prayers and says, yeah, but that just covers everything. And we're like, yeah, it does. 
whatever he wants. <laughs> and his will is being done much better than we could ever have planned it out. And I think sometimes of like Abraham, God didn't lead him into the land of Canaan right away because the iniquity of the Amorites was not yet complete. <coughs> I mean, sometimes God's just giving them more time for, for judgment, mm-hmm. you know? And that's so hard for us to, to fathom, but we just need to trust that like, we want salvations. We want to see people saved, and we're praying for that. But like, the gospel's a two-edged sword, you know? A lot of the people who we meet and sh- share the gospel with may one day remember our conversation forever in torment. Why didn't I listen? God's going to say, I sent my messenger to you, you know, and you wouldn't hear my counsel. So it's a two-edged sword. It's sobering. And so I, don't, I guess I kind of got off prayer, but, <laughs> but when you're praying for God's will, what, whatever way the gospel and the sword of God, word of God divides is up to him. And we can, pr- one day we'll be mature enough to praise him even for his, yeah. his judgment. You know? So. There's also the joy, uh, sorry, <laughs> there's also the joy of like when, when you're carrying the king's edict and someone calls you crazy or whatever, you, you get to look at them and say, you know, I, I just got done talking to the king. I just spoke with Jesus and he's given, he's given me a message. I know him. And he, and, he, and, and he wants to make himself known through his word. Um, how foolish would we be if we were giving people a message from someone whom we didn't talk to? You know? But he's, he's given us a message. And when you speak with him, uh, he gives you the power to deliver that edict to the people. Function. Yeah. What recommendations do you have for a local church who desires to push back the darkness that's abortion and all the other issues we're facing here in Holland regarding prayer and action? For yes. our for a local church, yeah. So Your recommendations, Stephen. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of funny because you you, you kind of answered the question in the question through prayer and action. Um, go. It's not as complicated as we think it's going to be, it, it, and you will you will deal with legalities, persecution. You're going to deal with that as you go. It's not like, uh, there's a few cases in scripture like Paul in Acts 4, I think, uh, before he travels again, he says, uh, it's in the portion where he says uh, uh, that he doesn't consider his life as valuable or or precious to himself, but that he may go and preach this gospel uh, of grace. But he tells him, he says, I only know one thing that the Spirit may known to me, that I will be arrested in the next place I go to. Um, So oftentimes the Lord really doesn't prepare us um, he does in his word, but for all the, the variables and um, so, so prayer first, you guys are already doing that. Uh, going out, I know that, uh, that Jeremy has uh, uh, Saturdays, I believe, where he's going out regularly, finding a place, I would say, at least in, in terms of my methodology, finding a place local within a two-mile radius of the church. So you meet someone, you can say, we're right over there. Um, something that's local, but then also consistent presence at the abortion clinic or at the Pride Fest, which that's two years running now. People see those familiar faces. Um, but uh, um, what was I going to say? Kind of, kind of in, that, uh, in the preparation for it, um, you're, you're praying. I, I also think of um, in, the, in the book of Acts, I can't remember the exact passage right now, but it talks about the believers praying for boldness. Uh, uh, Paul, uh, along with Peter, I believe, they're, they're arrested and uh, they come back and they say, you will no longer preach or teach in the name of Jesus. 
anymore. They go back to the believers, and uh, and and the believers. Uh, this is their this is their response. Early on in my ministry with issues with the church, it was not the church's response. It was then you need to stop, you need to quit it. Um, but the response of the church in the book of Acts was uh, they end up quoting Psalm two, I believe. Um, they they quote and they say. Um, what happened to our Lord Jesus, may we also follow in his footsteps. God predestined for Jesus to be persecuted, um, for the enemies to encamp around him and, and whatnot. Um, and he was, he was pierced for our transgressions. So they say, so in the same way, it says in the ESV, the believers pray for boldness. Um, so pray, act, pray, act. Just continue to do that. And the Lord will refine and fine-tune um, your own church's ministry and endeavor to go out. He'll call people, some people that can go every once in a while, um, but I would say consistency is something that is key, consistency in prayer and in, and in where you're going. And when you find that sweet spot, um, commit. And, uh, and by God's grace, because he hasn't returned yet, I believe that he'll bless you with fruit. Mm-hmm. One, in, in regards to, to action, maybe some simple and practical steps. Um, everybody starts. Everybody who does evangelism had to start brand new at one point, and most of us, aside from his kids and my kids that I know of, are not growing up doing this. <laughs> so, um, one thing I think would be a really practical step is dedicate the first time you go out to just come and pray. Yeah. Let watch what happens. Be willing to be present and pray. You can see. Okay. Stephen's talking to this man right here. Jeremy's uh, engaging someone with the gospel right now. I'm going to pray for that man or that family. And uh, that would be a great first step in. Um, Some people want to jump right in. That's fantastic too, but that might be a good practical step. We always have in both of our ministries gospel signs. So a lot of people who don't feel as comfortable or want to let other people first that are maybe more used to it do the conversations They'll just hold a sign, and then everyone passing by on the road is reading the gospel. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds yeah. of cars. So I think that's a wonderful step. But um, you don't have to be like a superhero to evangelize. You don't have to know all the religions. You don't have to know what atheists believe. You just need to know your Bible. Yeah. And I promise you, if you go out in faith trying to honor God to do this, when someone throws an objection at you, the Lord's going to bring that verse to your mind. Like, it's a living word. It's living inside of us. And when we're honoring God, it's a supernatural conversation. He has ordained it, and He's pleased to use broken vessels like you and me with cracks and holes, and He shines His light through the holes, and He saves people, you know? So a practical step is, is being willing to ask someone about the Lord with a gospel tract. Do you know the Lord? Do you have a second to talk? Um, are you a Christian? And just ask the conversation. Ask for the conversation, and just trust that whether you miserably fail and fall on your face, or or you got everything down the first time, that God isn't going to save anyone because you did good or bad. He's going to save someone because they heard His word, and it was His plan for them to be saved. In fact, the great thing about being reformed is you know you can't screw it up. Like, we're always judged, you frozen chosen people won't get off your butts, right? That's what the Charismatics or the Arminians might jab us with. Well, the nice part about it is, like, and the sad part for an Arminian 
is they'll go out on the street and they'll be like, man, if only I was a little more enthusiastic, or if only I would have just said this one word, maybe I could have shown them. But that's not a, a problem for the Reformed man. Lord, I'm going to go out. Please bless this conversation. Please cover my sins. Please cover my um, iniquities. Cover my uh, in, in, inability to do this. And please, Lord, let your will be done. And we can go out and we can say everything right and the person can walk away angry. We can say everything almost wrong and God might save them. But we can just say, when we go home at night and rest our heads on our pillow, God's happy with me. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, isn't that what we all want? Is We want to hear on the final day, enter into the joy of your master. Right? We want to be in fellowship and in joy with him. And when you evangelize people, whether it's a very small step of just one conversation or just going out to pray in person uh, at the abortion clinic or with Jeremy uh, at the abortion clinic with him or on his Saturdays. You're, you're breaking in slowly and um, take a man, like I would say, like Pastor Mark or Pastor Rick or Pastor Matt or Jeremy and say, can I just be your plus one? So when they're having the conversation, you're listening and maybe the Lord gives you something to chime in, but now you're seeing how it happens. Yeah. If I can, oh. there are some people in this room who probably will never preach on a street corner. Right, that's like okay. You said, yeah. How people will look at you on Judgment Day and say, "You can say I told you." Yeah. But likewise, wonder about for us who can be silent. Yeah. People looking at us on Judgment Day saying, hmm. "Why didn't Why didn't you yeah. tell me? Yeah. You lived alongside of me on the other side of the hedge." Yeah. In the yard, and you never yeah. said a word. That's you right. sat for four hours with me in an airplane, and yeah. you never said a word. Yeah. Or you stood <laughs> beside me at a soccer field for four years when your son played, and you never <laughs> told me. Yeah. yeah. So, but we can do that. Yeah. We can talk to people. Like and just like Lazarus and the rich man, right? The rich man's like, let me go back and tell my brothers. <laughs> you know? There's uh, something encouraging from Scripture I wanted to read. If you remember the high priestly prayer, and earlier we were talking about praying ourselves, but remembering that the Lord Jesus Christ has prayed for you, and his prayer certainly will not return void. He says, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So Jesus doesn't just pray for the disciples. He prays for us. Um, and so uh, that should encourage you greatly that your, your master, Jesus, has prayed for your evangelism. Mm-hmm. He's prayed, as Jordan said, be sanctified in truth. And he's going to send you into the world. In different ways, not everybody's a street preacher. Not everybody is good with one-on-ones. Um, but biblical evangelism is... Um, is either the written or spoken law of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the call for sinners to repent, believe, and be born again to worship the Lord according to the Bible. Um, It it will be that. Uh, Memorizing a gospel tract or a passage of scripture um, is something very practical. But as we tell our children, don't don't memorize it here. Don't, uh, for God so loved the world, he gave his... No, dwell with your Lord. And be able to communicate the truth in love because you've spoken with Christ. Plead with people the scriptures. 
um, and, and, and take it to heart and know that your Lord has prayed for you, that as you're sanctified in truth, you would be sent into the world in the same way. Here's three, three prayers that will always be answered. Grow me in love for the lost, grow me in love for you, and grow me in love for your sheep. Those will always be answered. Amen. So if, if you want to dwell on those scriptures, grow me in love for you, Lord, and you'll love his word more. <laughs> so. I'm going to open up to all of you now for questions. I think the lady in the pink had the first question. So I'm going to leave. <laughs> I just wanted to make a comment that you babysitting is such a crucial mm-hmm. thing because we were foster, foster parents for 10 years, and so many times these parents do not have one safe person in their life that they can leave that child with. So when they have to leave them with someone, they leave them with someone unsafe. And a lot of times that is when the abuse and neglect happens. So that's great. I hear you kind of connect these people with churches and Grand Rapids usually, but if you have someone that comes from Holland... Oh, you're first on my list. (laughs) And if you have someone that we can connect with and be that support for, let us know. Because that's such a crucial thing to be able to come around them. Amen. Amen. It is. Because for my four children, their mothers are exact people that people would have said, oh, you should get an abortion. Yeah. And they do say that to them. And then their boyfriend tells them to get an abortion. Their mom tells them to get an abortion. Their boss tells them to get an abortion. And they're all told, you could never do it. Yeah. It's tough. Other questions? Felix? You mentioned us being sinners, and you mentioned children of wrath, correct? Yes, Ephesians 2. Yeah, but praise God that we are not children of wrath, correct? Let's go, bro. Let's go, yeah. Children of grace. It's just hearing everything from the beginning to the end, just thinking. You mentioned your wives. Uh, You know, Ephesians chapter 5. I think of Ephesians chapter 5. Christ in the church, that's what we're talking about. Yeah. That we... That we not sit here thinking God's God's wrath is upon us. Right, and right. Praise God that he, he, with his blood, paid the price and that we are redeemed and that by his grace we go forth. Right? Praise God that we are not like those in the world that because they have no shame, because they love their sin, are under God's wrath. Right? Yeah. We are those that are, like you said, we, we call out into the darkness. We... We pray that the Lord shine light in the darkness and that we are not like the world. Amen. So I, I, I have also um, spent some time thinking we're doomed, like the church is under God's wrath. And, and praise God for his word that has revealed that no. We right, amen. Grace and that uh, this is the reason that we can boldly go out and boldly preach these things. And, and yes. And know that uh, that there is grace in people feeling shame. And they, it's when they don't feel shame, when they don't feel. I actually heard something today from another ministry. Uh, perhaps you know, abolitionist rising. He interviewed a girl that, like, has been mentioned. Everyone, she she aborted her her baby. Uh, and it was in a state where it was illegal. So Roe v. Wade had no relevance. She said it happened right after Roe v. Wade. So she went to the next state over and wow. was in and got fulfilled. No remorse. She said, I, I think about it. 
and this preacher's trying to tell her, yes, but you're sinned. You, you have sinned. And she's like, no, I'm a Christian. I don't believe that I sinned. If I hadn't done this, he would have killed me and he would have killed the baby. And he's like, yes, but you killed the baby. So how did you protect? And it was just like callousness, coldness. She could not. So just being there, like you said, we, we cannot change hearts, right? Yeah. It's the Lord that changes hearts. And I, I just love that he said, I, I will be praying for you. I will keep praying for you. And he, he handed her a track and she went off the track. But just that's the hope, right? Not to share yeah. information, not to like, if I can only convince you. So, you know, just praise God that he, he will see it through. And praise God indeed. In fact, yeah. uh, when people pass by on the sidewalk and, and need help or are really angry, if you're not out there to share the gospel, you have nothing to offer them. What are you going to do? Give them resources about pregnancy? They're there because they hate you. <laughs> we can bring the gospel to them. So it's been kind of a constant reminder for you and me of yeah. like, yeah, look at like the message for the moms, the message for the dads, the message for the grandmas dropping the moms off, the message for the angry person on the sidewalk, the homeless person, um, whatever. It's the same message. It's kind of like <laughs> it that works joke. for everybody. <laughs> uh, a Buddhist, an atheist, and an agnostic walk into a bar. <laughs> they all receive the gospel. <laughs> it's not like a different message for each one, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, as you said, uh, we, we once were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But now by grace we've been saved through faith. We're children of God, co-heirs according to the hope of eternal life ambassadors, family members, sent out to tell others uh, that, that the light of Christ has shown and that you can be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's beloved Son in whom there is redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Um, what a wonderful, uh, yeah, just what a wonderful reminder, brother. Um, yeah. a little more thinking in church history, we're talking about sanctification, right? We can see the bride of Christ being redeemed. You know, it's not a... Uh, we can get caught up in the... Where's the zeal, right? Right. Well, the, the Lord will renew her zeal because yeah. he has purchased her. So I, I do believe that. And that's what I was saying. I, I feel... I have felt like... What was me? Like, what is going on with the church? But the church... is beautified. Yeah. He, he's kept her and she's getting more and more beautiful... Toward glory, we can very easily point out those stains. But how beautiful is the bride? Um, yeah, that's yeah. Good point, brother. Ken. share the gospel with them okay. <laughs> yeah yeah uh in fact for the longest time i would say the first four or five months i maybe brought it up to several catholics 
but for the most part, it was like, man, these people over here are screaming at me and hating me just because I'm saying I want to help you and your baby. And these Catholics are all like, good job, thank you for being here. And I'm like, not wanting to make the only few people who <laughs> it's like... a Catholic voice. That's the official Catholic... <laughs> they're usually ladies. <laughs> that, that's the official Catholic voice. It sounds just like Pope Francis. <laughs> but, but anyway... So, so it was, it was kind of hard, right? Because like, they're giving me encouragement. And I even had a man who I didn't even know was a Catholic, which is my own fault because I should have investigated people's faith. And the Lord just really laid it on me how jealous he is for his glory. I mean, every time things were going well for Israel and they started relying on their covenant promise and not actually serving God, and they brought in the Asteros and the Baals and the Moloch's, and it, it was... God was not impressed. <laughs> he was very angry with that. And if God's going to end abortion in Grand Rapids, which I really do believe he's going to end abortion, in Grand, I hope it's in my lifetime. I can't make a definitive statement. I'm not a prophet or a son of a prophet. But I know he's going to end abortion, even if it's the day of eternity, right? And he's going to get all the glory for it. So this is what I've done like with Catholics, for example, who would be the most frequent people out there, other than us Christians, I would say, is... Um, there is some Catholics who may really be Christians, but when they come out praying the rosary, uh, I have a conversation with them about it. I, I first bring up faith alone, and if they agree with that, I say, hey, if, if we're on the same team, would you say we are? And they say, well, of course. I'd say, I think it biblically is heresy to say a prayer to Mary. If you think we're on the same team, would you pray just to the Father today, and we can have unity? And some of them will say, yeah, that's fine. And some of them will be like, how dare you talk about my Holy Mother that way? And I'll share the gospel with them. And then if, if um, they don't become a Christian, which they have not immediately, I'll say, hey, I'm thankful for your love for the unborn. But I just want you to know that, unfortunately, we're not on the same team. Uh, actually, you're over here, and you're giving glory that deserves to go to God, to, to Mary. And we're over here preaching the gospel, which you also need to hear. And um, it, it makes people get really, really uncomfortable and stop supporting you. But I will say this. Um, today was my sixth meeting that I do once a month with Catholics. So after the abortion clinic today, I met with four Catholics. Sometimes it's been eight, sometimes it's been four, sometimes it's been ten. Uh, and we've been picking one topic at a time. And we pick a topic and we discuss it. It's just me and six to four to six, eight Catholics. And um, we walked through very first was justification by faith alone. And these were the devout Catholics. These aren't the people who show up on Easter and Christmas. These are the people with their Dewey Reams Bible, whatever that came from. I don't even know, but that's what the real Catholics do, apparently. And their fancy rosaries. And, and what I was so thankful for, though, is like even though some of them are not Christians, and I think some of them may be, like as long as we're willing to submit to the scriptures, we can move forward. So there was a time where all eight Catholics, the very first meeting, agreed we are saved by grace, through faith, not of our works, lest any man should boast. And we're his workmanship. He prepared our good works for us. But works will always be accompanied by faith, because faith without works is dead. That's the way I said it. We all agreed with it. In my opinion, when I left, wow, every one of these Catholics is a Christian. And then the next meeting, 
they had all talked to their priests, all realized they were wrong. <laughs> but, but you know what? That was the only way we could really know, okay, you saw it in the Bible, you were going to believe it until your real authority told you what to believe. Your real authority was your pope, your priest. And that shows their need for Christ. And um, so we don't, we don't. In fact, I, one of the reasons I don't like right to life, for example, is for one, they don't do anything for mothers. And for two, they're a Catholic organization. They're actually not. They're ran by Catholics. They're unofficially, they're unashamedly not religious. They, they, we are a secular organization. Their goal is to get as many people who are pro-life on the same team to fight. And I think God doesn't need a big crowd. He just needs faithful Christians. Yeah, so. we're, uh, we're pro-gospel, pro-eternal life. And so, eternal life. Yeah, like uh, we we're doing gospel <laughs> ministry in the context of abortion, yeah. the streets, homeless people, yeah. compassion toward children, and that doesn't just mean. Oftentimes, what you'll see is we do abortion ministry um, in the name of Jesus, um, rather than we do abortion ministry with Jesus, as in like we're introducing you to Christ. To his gospel truth, it can be uh, again. That's that uh, where people fall into. I mentioned earlier that that missional mindset. Well, Jesus is back here. We're doing it in his name, but but we're not going to introduce you to him. You know, um, how rude. You know, <laughs> really. Um, and so, almost uh, like you're being ashamed. Of yeah, it's almost you're like you're being ashamed. You know, of the gospel, and and you are. Um, so that goes along with protesters. Uh, people were dropping off food delivery, people walking by back and forth. We have a primary mission at 320 Fulton toward the families as we're preaching the gospel and, and offering help. But, um, but anybody who's passing by, we try to engage them too. So um, uh, it, it's, it's not like it can be very easy, as you said, to have just a, a moral ministry. And, and, and it can be easy for Christians too, though, because... Uh, but we need to be reminded, I believe the London Baptist has this as well, we have three uses of the law. Um, one is that, uh, is that it, does, uh, it does resist evil. It does suppress men from being as evil as they can be because God's written his law in their hearts. Well, the second use of the law is that it, it, it exposes our need for Jesus. The third use is that we, we obey it in light of already knowing Jesus and we want to live a, good, uh, a godly Christian life worthy cool. of the calling which we've been called. Yeah. And so when we're out there, while we're preaching the law and the gospel, it will, it will have one of those three effects. Um, but, but we have to be, we, we can't just say, oh, we're just going to use God's law to get people to stop doing bad things. That's, that's moralism. Um, we have to be about the law, the gospel, and the call while we offer help and bring people to the foot of the cross. And we have to do that. And, and you can see that by that we evangelize the protesters. We don't sidewalk advocates. Other, other people will go, they, they don't have any, sadly, they don't have anything for them. Um, when we were down in Kalamazoo training one of the churches, there was a USPS truck coming up out of the, the abortion clinic, and sidewalk advocates just kind of stood there. They didn't have anything to do. And I looked at the pastor that we were with, Pastor Nick, and said, you want to know what I love about gospel ministry in front of an abortion clinic? Is that we have something that they don't have. <laughs> we have the gospel. So I walked over, said, excuse me, and I began to talk to the UPS driver and gave him a tract. By God's sovereign grace, he just got back from a deployment that my chaplain advisor was just on as well, and he'd been thinking about death. Um, so 
what a wonderful opportunity. And we've had several, yeah, yeah. we've had several um, uh, gospel engagements and even follow-ups with unbelievers. Um, And we've also had the advocates say, "Uh, hey, uh, one of you guys, can you, uh, he wants to know more about Jesus. Can you speak with him? (laughs) And we're like, but you're, you claim to be a Christian, you know? And we're like, heck yeah, we, you know, that's because we're doing gospel ministry in this context. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good gonna, question. Sorry. Yeah, good question. We're going to have to kind of draw this to a close, and so my plan is to have uh, Pastor Mark. I'm going to have you pray for the needs of these two gentlemen, which they're going to tell us here in a minute, and then I'm going to have Mary pray for the abortion rescue ministry, mm-hmm. and then we're going to sing a hymn and go home. Okay. All right. So yes, if you guys.